The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rock. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina. The editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right. You can see the faces made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And uh, there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side of the page is... Uh, David, uh, David Knight. It is David Knight. <laughs> this was the Sons of Liberty radio show afternoon show yesterday. So if you missed it, David Knight was sitting in on uh, in for day uh, for Bradley Dean. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys, about the music right at the first. I I'll explain in a minute. OK, I, I but I apologize. It was so loud. It probably blew up people's speakers and their ears and everything else. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, David was filling in for Bradley. Bradley is in Arizona to do a couple of events. I don't know if he's going to be on today or not. That slot will be filled with something at three o'clock Eastern this afternoon. But if you missed that and you'd like to hear that, um, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can check out the show with David Knight. On the right side of the page is where we are. Uh, click on the play button, blow it up whatever device you've got, and then look for the rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, click on that and you can join us in the chat on Rumble. A lot of friends over there. Good morning. Good to see you guys uh, this morning. And sounds like somebody just got up in time for the show. Great. Great. Good to have you. <laughs> uh, in any case, join us over there. We are streaming live to Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Sons of Liberty Radio Live is the, um, is the uh, channel. So be sure to subscribe there. We're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page there. And we thank those guys for giving us a, a place on their platform to reach those people who come over there as well. Right up under where we're streaming live on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. That goes out once a day between 7 and 8 Eastern usually. Uh, it was a little early yesterday um, due to the fact that I was pushed for time because I had to be somewhere. And that's going to tie into why the music was loud. Um, so we're going to, I'll explain that in a minute. All right. Uh, if you want our ministry email, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. You can sign up for that right on the front page. That goes out once a week on Saturdays. And uh, yeah, that'll tell you what we're doing in the ministry of Sons of Liberty, what we're going to be doing, or what we did the previous week, or however that may 
maybe maybe several weeks of doing that, depending on how much information is there. Okay, like uh, you guys have been following when uh, Bradley and his family went uh, came down here down south into Virginia. Uh, I think we did three updates on that just on that week that they were there with with images and so that you see some of the stuff that's there and also some commentary of some things that were learned. Um, okay, all right, so <clears throat> what we're going to do is I'm going to do my best to try to finish up Ezekiel 37. Now, one of the things I did not do was uh, I, I want to bring up this, um, of course, this, this rabbi uh, in, his in his little note, but it's, it's very important that I kind of give you a little bit of what I had myself. Uh, as far as <clears throat> this is the teaching that I was given when I was no, young in the faith. Hold on. When I was young in the faith, okay? Now, the guy I'm going to play for you, it's only about four and a half minutes, <clears throat> but Bradley sent it to me. Uh, he knew that I was teaching on this stuff. Of course, it drives Bradley crazy. Any of these people that just rip the scriptures from their context, put them together what they want, and act like they're not responsible to do anything. Um, and it drives me crazy, too. So he sent me this. This is a man by the name of David Jeremiah. <clears throat> I think he's got a show called Turning Point. I think that's what it, if I remember correctly, I have not listened or read anything from Jeremiah since I left dispensationalism like 25 years ago. Okay. And no, I did not leave dispensationalism for what I have now. I didn't know what I was leaving for. I just knew that the teaching was wrong. And as I taught through the scriptures, I knew I was going to have to put pieces together and try to understand that. And I'm still doing a lot of that today. Okay. I'm still doing a lot of that today. But I'm trying my best to stick with the scriptures in their context. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I'm going <clears> to <throat> address uh, some things that I've seen in some of the, the comments uh, this morning. And I, I may not get to the Ezekiel, uh, but I'm going to try to at least push through it. But there's just some things that have come up. I just kind of went back and I kind of wanted to see, okay, you know, I'll usually watch the first day people's comments and stuff. And after that, I got stuff to do. I just can't, I can't look at, at everybody's thing. So Sunday, I was actually looking through some of the, the, the questions, the comments and things of that nature in some of the previous shows we did, going back to the, the very first one that we did. And it's interesting because I find, by the way, the phone line is open if you want to call. Uh, please stick to the topics that we're talking about here. Uh, don't go off on something that we haven't talked about because I'm not going to answer that. Okay. It's not that I can't. It's just I've already explained why I won't. I'll eventually answer that as we progress through things. But if you've got a question about some of this stuff, you know, I've got a guy that said, hey, you got the phone number there, but you don't take no calls. Well, most time nobody calls. That's just the way it is. And when they do, I do try to take the calls. Uh, we had two the other day. But if you got a question, I don't mind a question. Maybe you disagree with me. That's fine. That's okay. Um, the Word of God is the authority, not Tim Brown. The Word of God is. And so that's where we, that's where we want to um, you know, hold ourselves to, is to the Word of God. So I've, I've got some of these, but what I want to do is, for some people, I want to give you a flavor. 
of <clears throat> if you've never heard this kind of teaching, which I'm almost sure you've heard at least elements of it, okay, at least some elements of this, um, and that is you'll hear them in this guy, David Jeremiah, because he strings them all along, and this is what I call Bible ping pong, okay? Some people aren't getting that reference and what I'm alluding to. They want to say, well, you're playing Bible ping pong. No, I'm not. I go to the context. I let the context say what it says. I read it all in the context. And I may say, okay, where have we seen that before? And we go over here. Or we did studies of phrases. Last days. What did the Bible say about last days? Uh, what does it say about the time of the end? What does it say about the end of the world? And in every situation, what did we see? What did we see with all those phrases? Is it talking about somewhere out in our future? Nope. It was talking about the end of the old covenant age. Every single time. All of it was that. I didn't manipulate anything. We went to the text. We read the context. That's what it says. And the people leaving comments, it's clear to me some of them don't listen to the show. They're, they do, um, they, they comment based on the title. And I did the titles in such a way so that they can, um, uh, so that they are provocative, that they do draw people in to say, what is this guy talking about? The end of the world? Is it in our future? What? What kind of talk is that? Well, that was to draw people in. That was to help them to hear what the what the scriptures were saying. That's all that was. I confess. I got an agenda. I want people to hear. And I didn't, I didn't, uh, it wasn't clickbait. It was, that was what we we're going to talk about. So I want to play this clip. I want you to hear, this is the stuff I was taught. And some of you probably were taught the same thing. But the phone number, I didn't give that out. 803-619-9855. 803-619-9855. Six one nine nine eight five five. Okay, if you want to call in, I'd be glad to take it. We're going to play this clip. So if you call in, you'll just hear the clip going, and I'll bring you up as soon as I can. Okay, or if you call in any other time, uh, we'll do that as well. Okay. All right. So here is David Jeremiah. Take a listen to what this guy says. You know enough about prophecy to know there's some general things you should be aware of. First of all, the next thing that's going to happen in the future is the rapture of the church. Nonsense. The Bible says that the Lord is going to descend and take to heaven those who have put their trust in him. And that can happen any time. There's no signs for that. It could happen before we say amen at the end of this service. We could go to heaven before we go home, and that would be all right because we'd really be home then. Amen. So you don't have to worry about that. You know, you say, well, what has got to happen before Jesus comes to get us? Not one thing. He can come any time. After the rapture, when the saints are all gone, on this earth, the Bible teaches there's going to be a period of seven years of tribulation. This will be literally hell on earth. And it's divided into two sections, three and a half years, the first part of the tribulation, and the last part, the last three and a half years, is called the Great Tribulation. Now, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, in the tribulation period, there's going to be a great falling away, a great defection from the faith. Now, let's just suppose that this is not something that happens until the middle of the tribulation. I don't believe that's true, but let's just give ourselves a little wiggle room here. 
let's say that this falling away doesn't happen until halfway through the tribulation period. That would be three and a half years. And let's remember that the tribulation commences immediately after the rapture of the church. Watch this. And let's not forget that the rapture could happen at any moment and that the tribulation is a period of seven years so that the middle of the tribulation is just three and a half years. If all those things are true, and they are, the falling away could happen within our lifetime. If Jesus came back today, it would happen within three and a half years. So this isn't just something way out in the future that we don't have to be concerned about. It could happen, and it could start happening before we go to heaven. It won't fully completely happen until we're in heaven, but it could start happening before then. The Christians in Thessalonica were facing this kind of persecution, so they believed the last days were upon them, and they were troubled, and we should be troubled when we go through trouble, right? That's part of it. But Paul wrote this letter to them to say, look, don't be soon troubled because the falling away hasn't happened yet, so you're not in the tribulation. If you're in the tribulation, the falling away would have happened, but it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened for us yet either. You know, I sometimes hear people talk about how before Jesus comes back, we're going to have this great worldwide revival. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Well, I hope we do, but there's not anything in the Bible about that. Somebody got their wires mixed when they started teaching that because that's not true. You know what is in the Bible? In the Bible, it says there's going to be a great defection from the faith before Jesus comes back. And there is going to be a revival in the tribulation period. You know why? 144,000 Jewish witnesses are going to be let loose on the earth. If you can't get a revival with that, there's no hope. And two witnesses, two special witnesses are going to do miraculous things. And the Bible says that thousands will come to Christ during the tribulation period, but not before we go to heaven. Could there be a great awakening? I believe there could be, and I pray that there would be every day because that will just give us a few more years to preach the gospel. Sometimes I think we might be on the edge of it, and then sometimes I think it's so far away you'll never see it. But what I want you to know is this. While the Scripture does not prophesy a great revival, that doesn't mean there couldn't be one, but what you need to know what the Scripture does prophesy is there will be a defection at the end of the age. The Bible predicts the falling away of the church. Is that what we are seeing today, including believers who are deconstructing their faith? There seems to be a growing number of people rejecting God altogether and choosing no faith at all. Is apostasy a sign of the end times? Join Dr. David Jeremiah for this special prophecy edition of Turning Point as he presents a sign of the end times, the falling away. A theological prophecy. Oh, yes. And there was a falling away. There really was. Um, you know, we, we've seen what the Scripture says. But Jeremiah does something that we've already talked about. Okay? And I'm going to hit this just really quick. The linchpin of what is referred to as dispensationalism. Now, if, again, I'm not going to go through a long thing of what it is. If you go to our Rumble channel, there is an image on the for, for the video today. It is an overview of what dispensationalism is. Okay? It's an overview of it. And it shows 
what's going on here? I mean, you you hear Jeremiah talking about 144,000 Jewish converts to this, that, and the other, and he takes that from Revelation. Uh, was it six or seven, somewhere in there? Um, and he doesn't he doesn't even notice that all twelve tribes are not even mentioned. Joseph and Ephraim. Those are two tribes that are mentioned. They're the same. They're really the same tribe. Dan's not mentioned. It's not. It's unlike any other list through of the twelve tribes in all of Scripture. And he's not. It, the, the The understanding is not that these are just Jewish converts, and and there's only one hundred forty four thousand of them. That's not what it is at all. In fact, the numbers do have certain significance within the pages of Revelation. I'm not saying that, that they don't have significance, but it's not to be taken in that kind of fashion. Why? Because it's to be taken literally. What does that mean? They're to be taken as the form of literature that's written, and it is not a historical narrative. It's not didactic teaching. It's not poetry. It's what we call apocalyptic literature. John is seeing visions. Visions are things that represent certain real things. Nevertheless, they are visions. And the same thing happens with the numbers. It's like the millennial reign that's referenced, a thousand years. It, it doesn't mean exactly a thousand years. And I know some people are going to have a hard time with that, but I can show you all through. When he says there's a beast, do you think it's a literal beast? And if you don't, why? And why will you hold to these things as though they're somehow a, a wooden literal sense of that? So what happens is, is these guys formulate, they start picking things out. Oh, the next thing to happen is the rapture of the church. He gets that from First Thessalonians chapter four. That's where he comes. But as I, I didn't even, I didn't even take and tell you what I think about that yet. And I'm doing it on purpose. I want you to get the plain things first. Okay. If you get the plain things first, it starts to make sense with other passages of Scripture. And a lot of this stuff he says, the linchpin of what is dispensationalism. And I believe, I honestly believe. That there are those who profess to name the name of Christ who really believe that. I was one of them because that's what I was taught. And I was taught to look at the scripture that way. But when you have to go and teach it to somebody, you have to go and, and teach a book of the Bible. And you have to stay verse by verse, chapter by chapter. If you have to do that, you will not see dispensation. You just won't see it. It's not there. This is why you must play Bible ping pong just like the cults do and string along stuff together to make it work. I have not done that on this show, not on this subject or any others. I have constantly read in context what is said. And it's because I don't want to do that. I, it is not my intention to wrest the scriptures from their context, to twist them in any way. That is not my intent but it is to stay within them. And so what you heard was David Jeremiah putting all this stuff together, and then he, he mentions this seven years. Now, we've talked about this before, but <clears throat> he mentions these seven years. Where is he getting that? He gets it from Daniel chapter 9. But he rests the scriptures from their context to hold up this 
I, I, I don't know what you, this fairy tale, it is a fairy tale for us in the future. It, it is. But look at what he said. Look at what Daniel says. We're going to hit this real quick, and then we're going to try to move on. But I wanted you to kind of hear what dispensational is from him. So most of you have probably heard something very similar, maybe even more elaborate, from preachers on TV, from preachers in your churches, from people who are not preachers. You've probably heard something very similar to what David Jeremiah said. So this is where he's getting it, and this is the linchpin. If you, if you, if you properly interpret Daniel chapter 9 and the 70 weeks, there is no way you can adhere to dispensationalism. There's just no way you can adhere to it. Any form of it, any of this pre, mid, post-trib raptures, it's gone. And if you interpret Matthew 24 in its context and let it say what it's going to say, then you are obligated to conform your thinking to the Word of God, not the Word of God to your thinking. Okay, so here's what Daniel says. Remember, he's been praying, he's, he's been reading the book of Jeremiah, and so he knows God's people are in Babylon because they did not keep God's Sabbaths concerning the land. And so God said, okay, fine, you're going to give me 70 years, the land's going to rest for 70 years, because you didn't keep those Sabbaths over those 490 years that you were supposed to let the land rest every seventh year. So you're going to go into captivity and the land's going to rest. And so Daniel had read that, He's there confessing his sins for where they've departed from the law of God, and he's confessing the sins of his people. And he's calling on God that he will fulfill the promises to the people to bring them back into the land that he gave to Jeremiah. Okay? And while he's doing that, <clears throat> what do we read? Daniel chapter 9, verse 21. Yea, whilst I was uh, while speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications and commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Notice what he says. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Who's Daniel's people? The Israelites, those who were taken into captivity. And upon thy holy city. What's the holy city? Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in these 70 weeks? And we talked about this before. I'm not going to get into it long. If you, if you don't have it, I'll have the thing up. Uh, I'll have this show up that we did with... Um, Pastor Baldwin, where we talked about the 70 weeks of Daniel. The weeks are uh, weeks of years, seven years. You can go back and you can read the story of Jacob and uh, him trying to get uh, Rebecca as his wife. And he works seven years for her. And his father-in-law gives him the older daughter, Leah, who's not as pretty. And so he's upset with the father-in-law and he says, I want Rebecca. And he goes, okay. You work for her seven more for seven more years and fulfill her week. Okay, so that's where we're getting that from. So these are weeks of seven years, and there's seventy of them. So that's four hundred ninety years. Okay, that's what he's saying. So he says they are determined upon thy people, the Israelites, and upon the holy city Jerusalem. 
And what's going to happen in those seven? What's going to happen in those 490 years, those 70 weeks? Well, it's to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins. And remember, he says it's determined upon thy people. Okay? Thy people and the city. Not the world. Thy people and the holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That's what's going to happen in those 490 years. Have those 490 years occurred? Yes, they have. And you're going to see this in just a second. But David Jeremiah wants to tell you, no, no, no. Seven of those years are still out in our future. But that's not even what the text says. Notice what it says. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. What is that? What is that? Well, that's the totality leaving off that last week or that last seven years. But he says there's, that time is going to be unto the Messiah, the Prince. In other words, when the Messiah comes on the scene, we'll be at the end of that. Okay? Now, remember what's supposed to happen. And I want to ask you, did Jesus do these things? Did he finish the transgression? Did he make an end of sins? Did he make reconciliation for iniquity? Did he bring in everlasting righteousness? And did he seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy? Was he anointed the most holy? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus did that, but he didn't do it in those first um, 69 weeks. He did it after them. Notice what he said. So the, there's, there's the time leading up there until the last seven weeks, and he says, unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be that time. Okay. Then it says, and after Three score in two weeks. That's the last part here. Okay. Shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's talking about Rome. And the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Now, this is part of the first show that we did on this called the Abomination of Desolation, doing away with the old that the new might be established, okay? And then it says, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Well, who are we talking about here? Who, who is all of this prophecy of the 70 weeks about? It is about Jesus. It is about the Messiah. The Messiah just simply means the anointed one. Why did they anoint somebody um, in the Old Testament, whether you see it, Saul or David or whoever it is, they anointed them as king, even though they had not yet become king. But that was where they were supposed to be. They were supposed to go into the role of king. And the same thing is true with Jesus. He was anointed. He was the Messiah. And he accomplished all that Messiah was to accomplish, which is found in verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9. 
And he's already done that. And I've heard these preachers who hold to this stuff said, well, he's fulfilled the first three, but not the last three. Nonsense. He fulfilled all of them. Why? Because 70 weeks are determined to do it. It's happening in that 70 weeks. And what I'm telling you is this. It's very simple. The first 69 weeks lead up, and when they're complete, Messiah is going to appear. But after those, this three score in two weeks, see how that comes on the end of the seven weeks? That's 463 years that have passed. So you could literally read that, counting both of those together. And after 463 years, if you want to understand what it's really saying, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. So when Jesus accomplishes what he accomplishes in verse 24, he is doing it outside, he is doing it beyond those first 69 weeks or 463 years. When's he doing it? He's doing it inside the 70th week, which Jeremiah and those like him want to tell you is out in our future somewhere. You heard him just say it himself. Nonsense. That is to not understand what the scriptures are saying. And he is cut off, not for himself. And then it talks about um, the people of the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, which the Romans did. Jesus warned about that in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. He warned about that. In Luke 21, he's very clear. When you see the armies surround Jerusalem... If you're on the housetop, don't go down. If Don't go back and get your clothes. Don't pack a bag. Don't get a bug out bag. Get out of the city. Go Flee to the mountains. That's how you'll be saved from the destruction that's coming on that is really, although God is using the Romans, it is really the wrath of God poured out on a people who murdered his son. And then it says this, Verse 27, and you remember he, he talks about Antichrist and all of this and confirming covenants and all this. Well, look, look at what it says, verse 27. And who is this passage about? Let me ask you. Who is this passage about? From beginning to end, it's about Messiah. It's about Jesus. It's not about Antichrist. Antichrist isn't mentioned anywhere here. The Romans are mentioned, but Antichrist is not. It's only Christ, the Messiah. And he, that is Christ, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the last seven years. Let me ask you something. How long did Jesus minister? When he came on the scene and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus submitted himself to baptism of John. How long did Jesus minister? Everybody knows this, or most people who grew up in church know it. Three and a half years. Luke, I believe it's Luke who says when he started his ministry, he began to be about 30 years old. So maybe 29 and a half, something like that. In any case, you can count from the Passovers and the other feasts that are done, you can see the years that progress. And so Christ ministered for three and a half years. On the night of his betrayal, when he's with his disciples, what does he do? He takes bread and he takes a cup. 
He talks about the bread being his body. And we talked about that before, how Rome has so twisted that to say, when you eat that, you're basically engaging in cannibalism. Now, they don't want to tell you that, but they're saying you're, it turns into real flesh. It's not, it doesn't stay bread as it goes through your digestive tract. It doesn't do that. It turns into human flesh. It's just ridiculous. And by the way, when you drink the cup, the same thing, it turns into, it turns from wine into blood. Or if you're, if you've been seduced by, uh, uh, Mr. Welch, uh, grape juice. Okay. So he tells them when he takes the cup, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for many. He's, that's his words. He said the blood of the covenant, his blood, and it's symbolized in the wine. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. It can't get any clearer. Daniel 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. All All of Christ's preaching was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From day one, that's what he preached. He didn't deviate from it. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. Something that's sadly missing in the churches today. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. What do we read in the book of Hebrews? If you're a person thinking about going to the old co- back to the old covenant system after you've come into the the presence and the congregation of those who are in the new covenant, there's no sacrifice for sin. In fact, there was no sacrifice that actually took away sins in the Old Testament anyway. All of them were pictures of what Christ would do. Christ, the ultimate one, who would take away sin. He would remove it from his people. He didn't remove it for everybody. He removed it for his people. He laid down his life for the sheep, not for the sheep and the goats, but for the sheep. And he saved them through his blood and brought them into the new covenant. So this is the linchpin. You rip this down, you look at it in its context. Dispensationalism doesn't have a leg to stand on. And I'm telling you, it has led to this Israel first stuff, seeing the modern uh, day Israel as somehow God's people, that it's biblically prophetic, that those who call themselves Jews and are not are God's chosen people. I mean, it's just the the way this error has grown is absolutely incredible. And I'm going to tell you, it's hamstrung the church. It's hamstrung the church. Because we got people in the church who are antinomians. Now, it's a big word. It just means they're against law. Now, they don't like it if you say that, but that's what they're doing. They'll tell you the, the, the law that was given at Sinai, uh, the Ten Commandments, God's moral law that's laid out, is not for today. There are people who will tell you that stuff. They will tell you that the law Jesus was giving in the Sermon on the Mount was somehow different than the law that was given in the Old Testament. Well, what does that make Jesus? Does that not make him a deceiver? 
Does that not make him a liar? Yeah. And does he, is he not then turning around and saying, well, God didn't get this right? No, no, no. He's clarifying what they've been taught and telling them what the law actually said. He's not telling them something different or something new. He's reminding them of the law God gave. And so with that said, this is a big issue. And this is why it's such a problem. It gives people the idea that somehow texts like Matthew 24 are somehow talking about them. It's not. I'm not saying you can't draw application. You certainly can. I've said this over and over and over again. But people have brought this stuff up. So, um, gosh, I don't know that I'm going to... I don't know that I'm going to make it to Ezekiel 37. I may have to take that part off. Let's take a couple of comments here. This was from, when was the end of the world? And by the way, if you want to call in, if you've got a question or a comment, you're, you're more than welcome to do it. I'm not going to be mean to you. I'll let you talk as long as we can have a, a discourse back and forth with one another uh, and a dialogue there. I'm fine with that. Even if you disagree with me, that's fine. Okay. I think that's helpful. Um, but if you come in and you're just going to jump on me and not give me an opportunity to respond, then we're not going to have that. Okay. But I'm more than happy to have a conversation with you. But here's, here's one guy. I had to mute him and I don't normally do this, but I had to do it because all the guy was doing was coming in and copying, pasting that spammed me. If you want to disagree with me and people will see, I leave people's comments up who disagree with me. It's not a problem. I want people to see their disagreements and I want them to see my response. But this guy was doing it. Um, he starts off and he says, if you listen to these false preterist teachings of extreme error, you're about to sadly be surprised by horrible judgment coming on this wicked earth very soon. Everybody who's listened to the Sons of Liberty knows that the morning show and the afternoon show have constantly pointed to Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, uh, book of revelation all throughout the old Testament, um, as to God's judgment that he doesn't change in how he judges. He doesn't change. We, we've got a standard for it and how he judged Israel. And he doesn't deal with the, na the other nations any different either. He judges them very similarly. But he says, if you hold to these things to avoid that type of unimaginable nightmare, the horrible judgment coming on this wicked earth, I will let you know what's coming. After the fig tree, Israel was reestablished in 1948. And he points to Matthew 24. Now, we went through Matthew 24. What is Jesus talking about there? It's in the context. It's, you don't have to figure it out. He said, I'm telling you the parable of the fig tree. You look, you see, there's, there's leaves on it. You know, summer is nigh. And then he says what? Likewise, when you see all these things happening, what all things? All the things I've already discussed in Matthew 24. No, it is near even at the doors. What's the it? Go to Luke 21, which is the parallel passage. It's the... It's the same Olivet Discourse. And what does Luke say? What does he say that it is that's near, even at the doors? The kingdom of God. Just like John the Baptist preached that repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Just like Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Just like the disciples preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Guess what? It was at hand. It was at hand. And if that doesn't show you that if you're reading texts like Revelation, and you don't see the time text, 
Revelation 1.1, Revelation 1.3, Revelation 22.6, and Revelation 22.10. If you don't see those time texts where it says they're at, it's at hand and it's shortly to come to pass, and you think it's way off in our future, you are missing what I believe is the key to understanding the book. And that is who it's written to and when it was written. And I know there's a lot of people who say, well, that book was written at the end of the first century, 90, 95, 96 AD, and all this stuff. And they give you all the reasons. Well, I got a ton of reasons that I'm going to dump on you soon enough, but I'm wanting to get the plain things first. Okay. But you have to get the time text. You have to understand from the re from the reader's point. Okay. You have to understand from the reader's point what's being communicated. Because those books are not written to you and I. They were written to the first century believers, and it was to instruct them about things that were shortly to take place, that were at hand. That's what it was for. All right. That's one of them. Uh, and he puts a whole lot of other stuff in there, which uh, he, he jumbles up things. But he says, a generation will not pass before they see the following. So he twists what Jesus meant by the parable of the fig tree. He then twists the generation, which Jesus said, this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. He's talking about the people standing there in front of him. My goodness, he's warning the women. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children as he goes to the cross. Why? Because their husbands pronounce a curse on them and their kids. His blood be upon us and our children. Weep for yourselves. You brought it on yourselves. It's coming on you. Fill up the measure. Isn't this what he told the, the Pharisees? Yeah, fill up the measure. He knew it was coming. He warned them it was coming. Matthew 24 is nothing but a warning to the people of his day that judgment was coming because they would not obey God's covenant. And not only did they kill his prophets, they killed his son. They killed his son. And so that's why Jesus says, no nation has ever suffered the wrath of God in the manner that Israel did in the first century because they broke covenant with God and they killed his son. And God had had enough of it. And he utterly destroyed them just the way he says in Deuteronomy 28. You'll hear these guys who want to be Israel first guys. Always got to give them the land. Look, go read Joshua. It says God didn't, he didn't spare one promise that he gave to the fathers concerning the land. He gave them all the land that he promised. All of it. And they couldn't keep it because they wouldn't obey him. That should be a lesson to us. You want to keep your land? Look to obey God. Instruct others to obey God. So there's, there's one. He goes on and he says, It will not pass before they see the following. A catching away. This is his rapture escape clause. And it gets weird. It just gets weird. Okay? A catching away 
of the bride will happen that the enemy will try to explain away via mass alien abduction. And he references 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12. Huh? How are the Thessalonians hearing about something in our day? They weren't. They were hearing about something that was going that was about to come to pass in their day. And then he references Revelation 16, 13 to 14, right before the real seven-year great tribulation starts. Well, great tribulation is found in Matthew 24, and Jesus said that generation that heard him would not pass until all was fulfilled. It goes to the seven years that we just looked at with, with Daniel chapter 9. This guy has been taught wrong, and he's been deceived by it, and now he's deceiving others with it. False Messiah, Antichrist, fallen angels pretending to be aliens. I mean, it just... I don't even know I don't even know how you take it serious. I people must look at this guy. If he talks like this, the unbelieving world must look at him like are you crazy, dude? And look, I'm not denying that they have used stuff like Project Bluebeam and stuff like I'm not I'm not saying that. But they have to be looking at him like you must be out of your mind. Because they are. They're certainly not in the scriptures, okay? This one came from, uh, well, the last day. Same guy. He lays out the same stuff, and it's it's a spam. And again, he it just goes through. So I'm just, some people are going to hear things, and they're going to um, bring forth whatever it is they've been taught, whatever they claim it is that they believe, right? And... That's just, I mean, that's just the way things are. But again, this guy, along with others, have had some things that they brought up, and it's fine. I, I don't, I don't, I really don't mind that uh, uh, people have some questions or they make some statements. I think I didn't go back far enough uh, because I keep getting this guy's spam. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to jump back just a little bit to give a couple more. But I, hopefully, this is helpful uh, in solidifying what we saw in the scriptures because this seems when you go through it and you just let the text say what the text says and if you put yourself in the situation where you are the reader let's say you put yourself as a first century reader or a hearer of what's going on and you've never the only thing you've been taught is among your people the other Israelites, is that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to destroy Rome and he's going to make Jerusalem the center of the world. He's going to rule and reign from there and it's going to be unicorns and Skittles. Okay, and, and that's what you've heard. And then Jesus comes along and you're hearing what he's saying and he says stuff like, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. It's within you. And he constantly is telling them this. But he's also telling them, look, I'm not looking to do that. I'm, I'm going to be coming back to destroy this city and these wicked people. And you better flee the wrath that's to come. You better repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
you're getting a completely different message than what the guys of the day have been doing. And that's what they're doing today. They're telling you, there's a there's this kingdom coming. It's not here yet. We don't really we have a king, but he's kind of, you know, he's not really king of the nations. He's whatever the explanation is. You're getting the same thing. And the words of Jesus are the same as they were back then. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven doesn't come with observation. It's within you. But again, here's another person. This was on the Abomination of Desolation. This was the first show that we did. Um, <clears throat> he said, I like learning the interpretations others give for end-time stuff. However, a major issue with your doctrine regarding the tribulation is something you didn't address. You read part of Matthew 24, but not where it continues telling us what happens immediately after the tribulation of those days? No, I did go through that. I may have stopped on that one due to time, but the but there's no doubt I went on, I did the whole Matthew 24 and through 25. So I didn't skip anything. I didn't leave anything off. And he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be dark and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. This guy says he talks about the return of the Son of Man, the angels gathering his elect. Yep, your doctrine doesn't mesh well with this part of Jesus' prophecy because his return isn't something secret. That's true. It wasn't a secret. My goodness, Josephus wrote about it. Tacitus wrote about it. All kinds of people wrote about it. Now, they didn't give him glory for it, but they recorded exactly some of the very things that you read that Jesus said was going to come on that generation. Same stuff, even supernatural stuff, the chariots racing across the skies, the angels and their chariots of fire. Yep, all of that was there. And then we took a look, we took a show, and we took a look at the Old Testament about what it, how it used the stars and the sun and the moon to speak about uh, the people's worlds coming down around their ears, that their whole world was over. I mean, we use that phrase now. Somebody loses everything, and of course, we see those who have a godly mindset that says, I have everything I need. I, the Lord provides for me. Praise God for that. But we have others who say, I've lost my whole world because they lost their house or they lost their house and their family or something. They use that phrase, I've lost my whole world. Or maybe it's their spouse. And to them, that's their world. They've lost that. We understand that. Why can't we understand it when it talks about this? But again, we did a show on what is the end of the world? What does the Bible say about that? Um, this person will say, well, it wasn't just them that we're going to see. It says the whole earth. And again, this is a misunderstanding of what the term earth is, is putting. He quotes Revelation 1-7. He come with cloud, every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. And you go look up that, that word, and it's speaking about the inhabited earth. It's really, it's really pointing to that Roman Empire. All of those people are going to see it. And they did. 
they did see it. They saw the destruction of Jerusalem. They saw the clouds that were there. Just as Jesus said, you're going to see me coming in the clouds with power and glory. That's what he told Caiaphas. And I read you um, an account where Caiaphas did see that in 66 AD, and he allegedly repented. I don't know, but allegedly he repented because of his involvement in the murder of the Messiah. But these are some of the things that are said. Again, if you want to call in, the number is 803-619-9855. Be happy to try to take your call. He goes on, he says, the fact I'm showing is that God's reference of time is not even close to ours, given he's outside of time and not constrained by it. See, this is where people go when they can't answer according to the scriptures. They start going into this vague thing as though God didn't mean what he said. Well, let me ask you something, friends. Did God mean what he said when he laid out the months for the people of Israel and how their calendar was to focus on the moon, not the sun at the time? It was to focus upon the moon. Was God somehow vague in the book of Genesis when he said the evening and the morning were the first day or the evening and the morning were the second day? Was he confused about that? Was his day different than our days? When Jesus said, the sun, there, no sign will be given to this wicked generation except the sign of Jonah. Just as he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days, three nights. Does that mean 3,000 years? No, of course not. We understand that. So why, when you're pressed on these things, would you run over here and go, well, God is outside? Of, well, of course he's outside of time, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't understand that we understand how time works, and he does work inside that construct, because why? He's the one who's created it. He's the one that's created it. So this guy goes, both Peter and the psalmist make the comparison of our reference of time compared to God's short and near to God aren't always the same as we think of it. No, but he's talking to us. He's talking to us. He wants us to understand. He does not want us to be confused, and that leads to confusion. That kind of thinking right there leads to confusion. So he says, Psalm 90, verse 4, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. And I'll bet this person believes in a thousand-year reign of Christ from Revelation chapter 20. My question to him was, well, what if I take that thousand years and say, well, God didn't really mean a thousand years, he just meant a day. That person would have a cow. They would have a herd of cows. Because I would take their misunderstanding and turn it on them to have them Hold on to that. And then he references 2 Peter 3.8. I believe this is the person who also went on to call me a wolf and that I was doing all this stuff. But I invite people to interact with me on what I have taught. Now, I went over, gosh, I didn't even get to Ezekiel 37, but I thought these were good things that we bring up. I'm going to hold on just a little bit. I'm going to cover a little bit more. Probably change the title. We'll do Ezekiel 37 tomorrow. If you want to catch that, sonsoflibertymedia.com. Before it's news.com or Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Otherwise, we'll see you in the morning, bright and early. See you. All right. I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. So I want to take some of these. I want to do them. And again, the phone lines are still open. You know, even though we're off the radio part, we're still here. If you want to call, I'd love to hear your comment. Or if you got a question, we'll, we'll take that. Um, as far as 
you know, any of this stuff that we've talked about. Okay. Um, I'm trying to see if we got somebody else. So I know there's some other ones that are in this because, like I said, I, I kind of went through them, and some of them were some some new people um, who had who had commented. But I think it was good just to go back over some of the stuff that we've that we've uh, taken a look at before. Anyway, I had okay. This one was one where it just got into a lot of stuff. Um. I don't know how the people got into the once saved, always saved stuff. I have I have said from the beginning, uh, if you understand, and we went over, we had a show in which we talked about the Synod of Dort. And the Synod of Dort was a res, it was a response um, of the children of the Reformation to those who were the children, and I, I use that term children, they were taught uh, by Jacob Arminius. And so they had five points that they brought, and they were saying, well, these are biblical, and they were against the Reformed doctrines of grace. And so these children of the Reformation at the Synod of Dort, which is it's just a court, it's a church court. When we talk about, boy, when we talk about um, the church being the ecclesia, the government, they're supposed to be governing and doing these things according to the law of God. Boy, that's that's a perfect picture of it. That they brought these things together and looked at them and examined them and came out with a response, which most people today would call tulip. I call it the doctrines of grace. It's what the Bible says. Um, what happens today is people grab the term once saved, always saved, and what they're doing is they want nothing to do with the with the doctrines of grace, but they take the perseverance of the saints and they turn it into once saved, always saved. If you just ask Jesus in your heart, everything's good. Because see, this is what it says. And the Bible doesn't say anything about asking Jesus in your heart. It just doesn't say it. I challenge anybody, anybody, to where a gospel presentation is given in the New Testament. And the person giving that says, and won't you come? You know, the Billy Graham thing. Won't you walk that aisle? Come on, brother. Won't you walk that aisle? Ask Jesus into your heart. That's not what the scripture says to do. It says to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what they preached. Repent. What I would preach now, repent because there's a king on his throne and he's got a real kingdom and he's your ruler and you need to submit to him. So it's not the same thing. And I have stated very clearly, if the Lord has given you the new birth, and Paul says that he is not only the author of our faith, but the finisher of our faith, and Paul also says, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what he tells those that he's writing to. That application, I think, is... Very much for us. If he begins a good work in us, he will complete it. But he doesn't do it by you asking Jesus in your heart. That's not that's foreign to scripture. It just is foreign. And if you want to correct me on that, here's the number 803-619-9855. This is only the number's only good while the show's live. Okay. Got lots of people that tell me, oh, I'll call you. I'll we'll I'll straighten you out and I, and I don't get no calls. I it's not like I've I mean I've got the phone here. 
It'll light up. I'll turn it on on the computer. Be glad to take your call. But he said it's not a biblical doctrine. I agree. It's stealing the biblical doctrine of perseverance of the saints. It's stealing that. But he goes on and he starts playing the Bible ping pong. Hebrews 3.12, uh, Hebrews 6.4-6. Then he goes into 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Then he talks about a falling away and departing. And he goes through, uh, he says, regarding that everything in Matthew 24 has already been fulfilled since the apostles asked, when are you coming and what are the signs of his coming? Then after explaining all the disasters, sun and moon go dark, then Christ comes in the cloud. He does not go in the clouds. Um, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. But your problem, Kurt Bolter is, is his name on, on Rumble, your problem is, is that you're not listening to Jesus. Jesus says all these things will be fulfilled because this generation won't pass until they are fulfilled. That's what he says. I didn't say it. That's what he said. And if you know anything of the history of what took place there from 66 AD, even on past 70 AD from the, by the Romans, to Jerusalem and Judea, you know that Jesus's words were fulfilled to the letter. Even things that we can't sit here and say, okay, I saw this or I saw that. We know if he said it, it came to pass. It came to pass. He said it was going to come. He gave a time frame it was going to come. I read to you from Daniel chapter 9 just now, those things were to be accomplished then, including what? 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 Even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. All of that was accomplished in the first century, just the way Jesus. This is the plain things of Matthew 20. If you can't get the plain things of Matthew 24, you're going to have a hard time getting. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Peter 3, the book of Revelation. You're going to have a hard time fitting those things together without being confusing as all get out. And I don't believe God wants us to be confused about what he has said. I think he wants us to understand. Then I get this guy. He says, we see that Matthew 24 has not been fulfilled or been filled, but is being fulfilled as we are seeing it come to pass. No, we're not. We may see things that we can draw application from. Why? Because men in various nations don't learn from history. I've got all these tabs open, and I'm just going to take this one. This one's just kind of kind of coming at me, uh, and some people say, oh, well, you get in the Old Testament. You love the Old Testament. Yeah, I do love the Old Testament because it's God's Word, okay? I'm not going to make any uh, apologies for that. It is the Word of God, and it is there to instruct us. It is there to correct us. It is there to reprove us. That's what it's there for. And I want you to understand this, 1 Corinthians 10. 
listen to what Paul writes. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. Now, what is ignorant? Is he putting them down? No, it just means you're without knowledge. You, you don't understand. You, you, don't have, you don't have the information to process properly, or if you do have it, you don't know how to put it together. It just means you don't know. Okay? How that our father, all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and all did drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. See, see what's going on? They drank from the rock, and the rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were, watch this, our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. What is he saying here? He's saying, if you learn the lesson of history of how of what the Israelites did to tick God off. And if you learn how God dealt with his people, you will learn from that so that you do not encounter a destruction, a 70 AD, if you will. You, you won't incur God's judgment. You will incur his blessings. So is it wise to read and know the Old Testament? You bet your bottom dollar. And there's a lot of preachers who won't, who won't step foot in the Old Testament at all. It's like, what are you doing? I'll just take all these scriptures, all these things that God taught us, and just chuck them out. No, they were speaking about Christ, and they are for today, for our understanding, and for our example. That's what Paul says here. And that's in the New Testament. And so he says this, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. Go back and read how they were idolaters. Learn from that. Don't do it. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Go back and read about that and learn from it and don't do it. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Go back and read it. Don't do what they did. Learn from it. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the sword. Go back and read it. Learn what they did. Don't do it. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our, this is the, these are the new covenant people. And I'm, I'm not saying he's, he's saying when he uses our, I'm not saying he's talking about us, but we can definitely draw from this and we can definitely get an application from what he's saying. And they are written for our admonition up. Oh, look at this. Our admonition. This is Paul and his readers upon whom, who's the whom? Our our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. And then he 
he, he carries on. But what I wanted you to see was the Old Testament is an example. It's not to be cast out. We're to understand it and learn from it. We're to apply it to us. We're to interpret it properly in the time that it's given, but then we're to apply it to us today. What is that application? Don't do what they did. Don't do what they did. Here again. These are, these are some of the comments that, I, that I've gotten here. Apparently, people do not like the day of the Lord or Son of Man scriptures, nor do they really understand revelation of Jesus Christ. That is Daniel's 70th week. Well, you don't understand Daniel, Daniel's 70th week. I'm just simply telling you. Yet so many fables are being taught that people have no idea what is truth anymore. That people have lived in the lives of the churches for so long, they cannot even see that Second Thessalonians 2, 7, 8 is Revelation seal 6 to seal 6, and we are not appointed to wrath, for on the day of the Lord is when the rapture happens. No exegesis, no context, no nothing. And then he says, but alas, not a single person that follows a pastor accepts this. For they are so blinded by three words, they refuse to see the truth of the Bible. Well, I'm just telling you, I know a ton of preachers who are preaching what David Jeremiah preached at the first of the show that I played for you. They're following that. I don't know what I don't know where Greg is, but that happens a lot around here. That's all over the place. Seal 6, the separation between the tribulation of those days that we are in and the great tribulation that is mainly for those in Israel and Jerusalem. Let me tell you something, friends. God's already dealt with the old covenant people. He's already dealt with them. Utterly destroyed. Utterly destroyed. Then he wants to go to Ephesians 2 and chapter 5 and Luke 21 and say, this is the mystery of the rapture. What? Do you see what I'm getting at? The confusion that comes from all this nonsense? Whereas if you just read what is said and you understand that there's a close of an old covenant, that God's done with that stuff. Why? Because he has sent the Messiah in the fullness of time, by the way. In the fullness of time. And he's done away with the old covenant to establish the new. And they keep wanting to go back to the, 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 uh, my friend Charlie Stewart is right on, the Jews' religion. They want to promote people who call themselves Jews and are not. They want to promote a land called Israel, but it's not the biblical Israel. They want these wild scenarios that are little bits of scripture ripped from their context. Nobody, nobody, can accuse me of ripping anything of Matthew 24 out of its context. Nobody. Because I didn't. I stayed in the context. That is something these people don't know how to do. They don't know how to stay in the context and just say, well, even if I don't have an answer for that particular portion, Jesus said it would all be fulfilled in that generation. He said all of it. Now, either I'm going to believe that or I'm going to say, no, Jesus, you were wrong. 
part of it was done in that in in that time, but you really meant a, a completely different word that they'll use for generation and try to shove it off in their future. Nonsense. It was accomplished the way Jesus said it was accomplished. And as I read to you in the second show um, from Alexander Keith out of the 19th century, where he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, he references the scriptures, specifically Matthew 24, and also he references Josephus of his accounts of what happened, that it happened just like Jesus said it would. And Josephus is no believer. These are important things. They're not trivial things. They're not things that don't matter. This is affecting people's entire worldview. And let me, let me let you in on a little bit of this. I may take a show and just play for you the lecture that I did, that I edited the, the video for of Dr. David uh, Lutzweiler. Is it Lutzweiler? I uh, forget it. I may be pulling up a wrong name here. <laughs> I want to say that was correct. He wrote the book, The Praise of Folly, um, about C.I. Schofield, which we published at Nice and Council at the time I was there. But he elaborates big time on a lot of this stuff. He elaborates on Schofield. He elaborates on who were the, who were the quote-unquote evangelicals behind uh, Herzl and those guys who were trying to found the nation of Israel in, of all places, Uganda. And these dispensationalists were telling him, no, no, no. Scripture says that you're supposed to do this in Jerusalem. And so, this was like, uh, I want to say, the latter part of the 19th century into the 20th century. Of course, Schofield popularized dispensationalism. It started getting into American politics, I think, under Woodrow Wilson, if I'm not mistaken. That guy, boy, that guy was a devil too. But all of that's there. It has, it, it, this is not something that is a tempest in a teapot. This is not something that doesn't have ramifications because it does. The reason the United States is, has allied itself with an antichrist nation like Israel is because of dispensationalism. That is, a, that is the only reason they have done it. The only reason they've done it. And as men think and perceive that, listen to them. Listen to them talk. If you don't bless Israel, if you don't bless Israel, you won't be blessed. And if you curse Israel, you'll be cursed. Well, let me ask you something, America. Since modern day Israel got in there, and that's who they that's who they point it, that's who they they point to with this. And you can hear a ton of these preachers say this stuff. Since the modern state of Israel came into existence in 1948, America has blessed her over and over and over and over. We've Some people don't want to acknowledge it, but we fought wars for them. Our men have died for them. They're still dying for them. We've given them bucket loads of money. We've given them technology. We've given them weapons. In fact, aren't they the only country? I may be wrong. It's been some years since I've seen it. But aren't they the only country that has nukes over there in the Middle East? Pretty sure they are. Where'd they get them? From us. 
We have blessed them and blessed them and blessed them. And I want to ask you, what do you see going on around you? Do you see God's blessings from Deuteronomy 28? Or do you see his cursings? Somebody's got it wrong. Somebody has understood the scriptures wrong. This is why it's so important to get this right. It's important to get it right. And if you don't get it right, you're going to go down the same road that these people went down. You're going to go down the same road as the people that Jesus had to confront in Israel who were looking for a kingdom that they could see with their eyeballs. And he says, it doesn't come without observation. And again, this twisting of who is of the seed of Abraham. Who are the children of Abraham? The true Israel. Who is that? I'm going to end on this, and we're going to pick up Ezekiel 37 tomorrow. Okay, I I apologize that we went on because I thought I would get I thought I would get to this point here. I mean, I thought I would get an answer here um, that I would go quickly with this. But here here it is. Uh, again, some of my favorite passages here. This is Galatians chapter three. If this doesn't tell you who the true Jew is, who the true child of Abraham is. I don't, I don't know what will do it. I just really don't know. And his whole argument is about this. This is Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Notice he says something there. That ye should not obey the truth. Not just believe it. you got to believe it to obey it. That's, that's true. But who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? See, they had the Judaizers come in. Judaism is refuted all through the New Testament. It is not held up as the standard. It's refuted as something that is against the gospel of grace. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And this, I mean, check that out. Isn't that, isn't that clear? Know therefore that they which are of faith, and we'll talk about what that faith is in a minute, the same are the children of Abraham. This is how Jesus could look at those who call themselves children of Abraham and says, you know, your daddy's the devil. If you were a child of Abraham, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. You wouldn't be seeking to kill me. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, woo, a light to the Gentiles, that's what the prophet said, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, yeah, the gospel, you know, I've told people that the gospel was preached to Abraham, and I have, 
you know, professed Christians telling me, no, it wasn't, wasn't preached till Jesus got here. <laughs> oh, gosh, I mean, incredible. Scripture says something different. For seeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Why? Because they're going to have a king over them, a righteous and a holy and a just king, not like the kings of the earth who get bribes and who take care of their friends. You know, the white-collar guys, but the blue-collar guys, yeah, you get a little injustice over there. We're seeing that in our country, too. They're going to have a king. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not a faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Because when you violate the law, the soul that sinneth, that's transgression of the law, shall what? Shall what? Surely die. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. What did Jesus hang on? A tree. Yeah, we refer to it as a cross, but it's a tree. It's made out of wood. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one. So that promise way back there in Genesis that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Yes, there's a start, if you will, with Isaac. He's the son of promise, and he'll talk about that in chapter 4. Versus the bondwoman's son, Hagar, uh, who had Ishmael. He makes the comparison there of the free and the slave. But here he says, He saith not unto seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So the promise of the seed to Abraham was about Jesus Christ. That was the gospel that was preached to Abraham in the Old Testament. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. In other words, the law doesn't do away with the promise to Abraham about Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Therefore, or excuse me, wherefore, then serveth the law, 
It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. This whole schoolmaster tutor thing. I mean, the children longed to be out from under them because they were, they were harsh. They were very strict. And that law was to strictly direct us to the Messiah, to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God, notice that, children of God, by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. Now I can go ahead and add that to the list of passages out of Ezekiel 37 where he talks about the two sticks and making them one. And we can reference uh, Romans chapter 11 as well, where all Israel is saved. He's not talking about a particular ethnicity of people. Paul says that in that day, in the first century, God had not thrown off his people simply because Christ had come or because he was going to judge the nation. He'd not thrown them off. And Paul says, I'm an example of that. He saved me. I'm a Jew of Jews. I'm a tribe of Benjamin. You know, I got, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews and all that other stuff. He's real passionate about his pedigree and his heritage. He knew all of that stuff. And he also went on to say later on, he would go on to say, I count all that stuff as dung. It's crap. It's, you know, that's what it is compared to knowing Christ. So he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ. And he's not saying there's not people who are bond and people who are free. He's not saying there's not people who are male and female. He's not, you know, we're not genderless or anything. What he's saying is in Christ, we are all one. We are one. And then he says this, and if ye be Christ's, then ye then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Who are the children of Abraham? Those who have the faith of Abraham, who believe that Jesus was the Christ and that he accomplished all that the Scripture said he would accomplish. Over and over and over and over again. If you didn't see the show that we did concerning the fulfillment of the scriptures, you can go to Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble. 
you can scroll down and it's called the prophets were exactly right. Go and look. It says over and over and over that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled. And then when you see the words of Jesus, when he talks about it, that all the prophets and Moses and the Psalms, they spoke about me. They were to be fulfilled. Nothing was left unfilled, unfulfilled in the Messianic period. They're just not. They were fulfilled in Christ. You can have confidence, friend, that what the Bible says is true, what the prophet said is true, what Jesus said would happen was true, that all of it came to pass just as they said, and there's a king on the throne. And that king is calling you to conform to him. Not you to conform to him, or excuse me, not you to conform to something else. Not having him conform to you to make him into a little God like you would like to have, like men of the past. But rather, you are called to conform to the image of Jesus, King Jesus, you're called to conform to his image. In fact, that is what God does in his people. Read Romans 8, 28 and following. That golden chamber of redemption. His ultimate goal is to conform us to the image of a son. But you'll never get there if you don't believe the words of the Messiah. You won't get there if you don't believe the words of the prophets. You won't get there if you're not seeing that these things are fulfilled in Christ. We've got to get this right. And then we have to speak it boldly, daily. And it will begin to change the minds of the people as God enlightens their understanding to what the Scriptures actually say. And they'll drop off these people like David, Jeremiah. If they don't correct themselves, or others who are teaching that stuff, people won't. St people will quit listening to them. Oh, they'll they'll continue to be some people who want to go there, but they'll quit listening to them. They'll go, no, no, no. The scripture says this. It says this. It's right here in the context. And I'm telling you, once your eyes are open to it, you can't ignore it. You can't go back from it. You can't. You just can't. You'll see it everywhere in the scriptures. Okay, tomorrow. We're going to try to finish Ezekiel 37. I thought maybe I'll take a couple of these things. We'll do 15 or 20 minutes. Here we are an hour and a half later. This is my problem with things so that I just... Anyway, thank you for your patience and hanging in there. I did want to just have all of this uh, out there, kind of let you know some things as I went back. I didn't even get all of the comments here. Uh, some of them... You know, I've heard some of these arguments before. Some of them are just, some get downright bizarre. I don't know where, I, I don't even know where the people are getting some of the things that they're saying. But for the most part, it seems, at least as I look in the chat uh, at, on certain days, that most people are getting it. And I either have two different things and they understand exactly what I'm saying. So there's not a question that I'm, that they're misunderstanding what I'm saying. Some people just are having a hard time unwrapping their head around the stuff they've been taught and then trying to form it to the scriptures. And that's okay. That's, look, this is the work of God that, that does that. 
He's the one conforming you to the image of Christ. And part of that is understanding what his word says. And it does take some time. But I'm going to tell you what. It makes so much sense out of things that people are trying to juggle in different times. It makes so much sense. It is the application of it is far reaching. Let me let me put it that way. The application of understanding how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the scriptures has long lasting and it way into the future impacts not only upon ourselves and our children, but upon the society at large. Just the way that the defective teaching of dispensationalism has affected us for more than a hundred years in this country. You want to see things turn around? You start grasping this and start preaching this to people. And you start telling them there's a king. He's not waiting to come. He's here. He's been on the throne ruling and reigning and judging nations for a long time. And the message from the king is to repent and to bow your knee to that king. King Jesus, the one who gave himself for sinners that he might reconcile us back into God. That's the king that we're to serve, and no other. Only that king. And all kings, pretended kings, presidents, prime ministers, those in authority who will not bow their knee to Christ are imposters. They are imposters. And they must be called out as such. But the people of God must submit themselves to King Jesus. Okay, tomorrow, Lord willing, we're Ezekiel 37. We're going to finish that up. We're going to do a little bit of review of what we covered because there was a bunch of stuff. Uh, so we're going to do that tomorrow. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. Please uh, pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to, uh, I'm probably going to have to take a nap today. I was up late last night. Haley had her last orchestra uh, concert, which was great. Uh, it's amazing. Let me make this little comment before I leave. It was incredible. Some of you tuned in as I was, I just do the live thing so I'll have a copy of it saved. It's amazing. There's like a hundred kids. I say kids, they're young men and young women. Okay. There's like a hundred of these guys down there. Violins, cellos, flutes, tubas, trombones, trumpets, drums, percussions, harps, all this stuff. All of them have to learn the music. They have to know how to play their instrument, when they have to play certain parts, and this, that, and the other. But they're all under the direction of just one conductor. They learn their parts. They play them at the direction of the conductor. And I thought to myself, if the people of God could understand that, could really grasp that and say, what, how shall I say this? What beautiful music we would make in this earth for the glory of God, if that's a proper way of saying it. If we would listen to the conductor and we would play our part according to what the conductor has said our part is, and according to as he, he has given us gifts in the body, what beautiful music we would make in this world. And I don't mean 
literal music, you understand what I'm saying? We would bring great things to the world. Why? Because they're from God. They're not from us. Oh, if we could learn that little scenario there. And I'll, t I'll tell you, part of that is understanding what the Scripture says and what the Scriptures are talking about. And in large measure, at least in the Old Testament, what Jesus says, they're talking about Him. They're talking about Him. What He fulfilled. Do you believe that, friend? Or are you still looking for Him to fulfill stuff in the future? Because if you're looking for Him to fulfill Messianic stuff in the future, then He wasn't the Messiah who came in the first century. He wasn't. Just like the rabbi said, I'll play the rabbi again tomorrow just so we have a gauge as to what not only Jews are saying, some Islamists say it, some self-professed atheists say it, some Christians say it. We've got to get in line with what the scripture says, right? Guys, have a great day. Uh, don't know if Bradley's going to be on at three. If not, there'll be an educational video uh, at three o'clock, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then Lord willing, I'm going to talk to you bright and early in the morning. See you then.